Today's supply chain is a very complex entity. We saw what happened to supply chain infrastructure early in 2020, and more recently, we've seen how supply chains have struggled to get up and running fast enough to meet surging demand. Because there are so many moving parts in a chain, it's worth questioning if every component is necessary at a time when raw material costs are spiking and cost control is more important than ever. One of the moving parts that may come under scrutiny is that of the distributor. We're living in an age where e-commerce has proven its worth, and if supply chain managers are looking for redundancy, perhaps the bricks and mortar distributor is expendable. You're listening to Ahead of the Curve, the podcast series produced by Gerent, one of the leading Salesforce implementation companies in North America. I'm Chris Henry. In this episode, we raise the question of whether the distributor role has outlived its purpose to be eliminated and replaced with a direct-to-consumer process instead. Our guests are David Morley, Gerent's VP of Manufacturing Practice, and Mike Simon, a partner in Gerent Digital, our digital marketing agency. David has four decades in manufacturing, either in senior management or in a corporate ownership role, while Mike has an extensive background in logistics, in addition to his digital marketing expertise. If the direct-to-consumer approach can eliminate the distributor from the value chain, surely that would create more efficiency, wouldn't it? Here's David Morley. I think that was my first thought. I talked to uh, a distributor this week that provides uh, security equipment, video cameras, servers, screen monitors, that sort of thing. And you can buy a lot of that material on uh, on Amazon. They give it to you the next day. The difference is that you get to choose which camera, which server, which specification. And it may or may not be correct. It's not the first time that I've ordered things from Amazon that I've sent them back and I'm you know, I'm not a commercial person in that regard, but the way that the distributor described himself to me was, yeah, we can do that. We do more e-commerce. We do more drop shipments, but we have become more of an advocate for the product. So we visit site, we do material takeoffs, we advise on the right products, and that's how they add value, and that's the difference that they make. So it's it's value that's coming through service and through their, their well, I suppose you could call it their intellectual property, their knowledge of the product. Yeah. Also, they, they haven't lost sight of the fact that they've got product that's close to hand. So as they understand the number of projects that are going on regionally, they keep that material in their stores. He also told me that he was surprised at how many people still want to walk up to the counter and talk to an individual within the business. So mm. It hasn't disappeared. It's transformed, but it hasn't disappeared. The jury may still be out on the usefulness of a physical distributor, though. A number of manufacturers have embraced a direct-to-consumer model that eliminates the middleman distributor. But as you can imagine, it's not quite that easy for a manufacturer to take over the distributor's role. There has been a move to direct-to-customer, or D2C as it's been called, and um, I think that you are taking on the role of product advocate if you're a manufacturer. I think in some cases it might work. In some cases it might be popular. It might be felt that you're cutting out some of the steps and, and profit margin erosion along the way, but I still think that the distributor has a 
real place in building materials and commercial uh, projects. Now, if a manufacturer does decide to go the, the D2C route, can that allow them to reduce their price because they would be cutting out the distributor's share of the markup? You see, I don't know why they would do that. Reducing the price would be a mistake because if you're trying to take advantage of the margin that you're experiencing, that would be one thing. You're also, as a manufacturer, you're taking on the role of the regional expert that knows what products would be needed. If you make the mistake of building the wrong products, the cost of holding a dollar of inventory in stock for a year is probably 30 cents. And the discount that you're giving to a wholesaler is probably along the lines of that, the distributor still holds a role in terms of they buy the product, they pay for the product, they provide the product to the customer on terms. They're kind of a central banking system. They're also an inventory holding system, which means that your warehouse isn't full. It takes a lot of the guesswork out of uh, how you manufacture and when you manufacture. David raises a critical point when he explains that distributors can hold inventory on behalf of the manufacturer. Not only does that reduce a manufacturer's carrying costs, but as Mike Simon maintains, it physically places goods closer to the customer. Distributors in particular, as compared to say, you know, big box uh, retailers, that's maybe a different discussion, but brick and mortar distributors, both from the perspective of uh, storing inventory, because that's always going to be a requirement. Getting inventory closer to consumption points, you know, that's a significant initiative that, you know, Amazon has really uh, driven through their delivery models and delivery promise and so forth, and where it is that they're placing distribution centers to get closer to consumption points and so forth. So, yeah, I think definitely brick and mortar plays a very important role for distributors. The the challenge for them that's probably further down in the list of questions will be what to place in those brick and mortar facilities um, and how to do that in such a way where you're storing as little as you need to be able to meet the consumption requirements for the markets that you're, you're distributing to and then having the appropriate demand signals and storage models and so forth to be able to, to support that. Well, that's an interesting point. And one of the arguments that's made in favor of bricks and mortar distributors is the fact that they can provide sound product uh, and application knowledge to a consumer that enters you know, the, the warehouse uh, and can actually walk up to a counter and, and discuss a problem with, with a distributor. Now, how relevant do you think that kind of aspect of distributors is playing or still plays today? I think that's very relevant and it may be increasing in relevance, in fact, you know, for all of the digital capability that we have for gaining product knowledge and watching videos and things of that nature. I don't know that anything replaces both the, you know, kind of situational knowledge that can be conveyed from an expert as it relates to something that you're looking to, to purchase, but also the level of trust uh, that can be, you know, kind of initiated through somebody's expertise, their product knowledge, and, and so forth. So I think that's a, a very relevant aspect to talk about, not just for end consumers, but also for uh, contractors who are, say, the, the, uh, the buyers of a distributor, but may not be the, the ultimate end consumer. Contractors themselves that will need to have, you know, kind of special arrangements relative to financing and will need to continually have education, product knowledge, 
uh, and so forth uh, to be able to satisfy what they're doing in, in their role in providing services to the ultimate consumer. So how has this digital world that we live in altered the role that a bricks and mortar distributor is playing insofar as a manufacturer is concerned? Yeah, I think in a couple of ways. So I mentioned, you know, sort of product storage and consumption points. You know, I, I think a really good distributor can provide demand signals to uh, a manufacturer in such a way where the manufacturer themselves can optimize what it is that they're producing, how much they're producing, uh, how much do they store at their facilities versus how much do they assume that they can store at their distributors' locations, um, the velocity of product that's moving through, uh, distribution networks, and so forth. So just having transparency and visibility to those demand signals, the consumption signals, and so forth, there's definitely a role that a distributor can play in helping manufacturers really understand the throughput through those facilities, but then also ultimately out to uh, the end consumer, whether that's a contractor or you know the ultimate buyer as well. Now, you know, the... As we all know, the aspect of logistics uh, is front and center these days because, you know, demand for so much raw material and finished goods or even parts for finished goods is is outstripping supply uh, at the same time that, uh, you know, importers and exporters are struggling to find enough shipping containers. Using technologies like Salesforce, uh, marketing cloud, manufacturing cloud, et cetera, how can a distributor mitigate the effects of this upside down supply curve? Well, I think to the extent possible, it's through better planning and better visibility. That sounds like, you know, kind of a statement of the obvious, but, you know, one of the things that causes the kind of whipsaw effect that we see is that when you have significant changes in consumption patterns at any step along the way, whether it's at the manufacturing site or distributor or contractor or an end consumer, then you either deal with delays by virtue of not having enough visibility to better prepare, uh, or you end up, you know, sort of overcommitting, over manufacturing, over storing as a kind of a, a reaction to how it is that you can mitigate the effect that might be a knock on going forward. And each of those just tend to create significant peaks and valleys in uh, everyone's planning that become very difficult to, to smooth out but it's all a function of not having enough visibility to what's moving and what's needed. And you know whether that's a function of sales forecasts and those being shared with merchandisers, for example, and better merchandise planning, and then ultimately translating that into capacity planning that you can share with ocean carriers for containers to the point that you just made there so that everyone can do longer, you know, engage in longer planning cycles that's where I see, you know, Salesforce, marketing cloud, manufacturing cloud, for example, coming into play just as a, a shared platform, better visibility, better process integration, better data integration, and then ultimately getting to a point of better process orchestration amongst all of the actors within an ecosystem to be able to deal with not just the effects of what we're seeing from a COVID standpoint, but just tighter supply chains going forward, even once we're back to a new norm. What David Morley and Mike Simon have enunciated so far is that the role of a bricks-and-mortar distributor appears to remain crucial to the manufacturer. The distributor acts as a warehousing entity, a financing arm, a source of product knowledge, and understands the local and regional market to a high degree. 
But what would stop a manufacturer from creating their own product support center online to supply product knowledge into a local market? Here's David Morley again. Well, I would argue that they should do that in tangent with their distribution channel. So having a community where customers can go in and make product selections or probably even place orders, but also connect with their distribution inventory and having the distributors having the same access so they can see what uh, they have in inventory, what inventory exists at the manufacturers, just to have that more open relationship is something that really lends well to the Salesforce platform. So I, I think the future is to have those guarded relationships become more open. So give me a sense of how Salesforce and its, you know, its various off-the-shelf solutions that are pretty much tailor-made for what we're talking about, how Salesforce can assist both the manufacturers and the distributors. So if you're a distributor, having access to that community, seeing your own pricing, being able to place and trace orders. Uh, if you were acting as a representative, you could trace commissions. You could see what your sales plan was. You could trace your sales against previous year's sales and what your forecast is for this year to see how you're tracking. Also, that all products have different margins. So being able to track whether your mix is correct and that you're making the right sales mix for your financial expectations as a distributor, I think is really key. We've seen a ton of manufacturers fall back on the fact that we've got a growing marketplace and their, um, their backlogs are increasing. So having customers to be able to trace their orders directly and see where the shipments are, timing for projects, that sort of thing. So what I would say that you're variable contribution margin is a really important piece. So understanding where you make money and where you traditionally have not made as much money or even maybe lost money because you've decided to take a hit to, you know, to satisfy a whole customer. That analysis has to be ongoing. Your supply chain needs to be in connection with that analysis. Onshoring and reducing your supply chain length on the operational side is really a good idea and understanding the value of your product and making sure your pricing is correct is really a good idea. Uh, ignoring those things is a problem and having that analysis done in the rear view mirror is a problem. It needs to be an on-time, real-time uh, activity. And of course, that's where Salesforce really can play a role. Yeah, for sure. So if you've got your CRM information attached to your ERP information, and you've got dashboards that are relevant to your strategic plan that are giving you information on, on a near real-time basis, you can make those decisions. So, you know, deciding not to make a product that has got less than average variable contribution margin or making adjustments to the inputs to those costs to make sure that those margins increase or deciding not to manufacture those products and focus on the ones where you have more capacity and there's still market share, they're really deep decisions. I mean, they're not things that uh, should be taken lightly. And I think they are things that don't get the right amount of attention. Whether it's the manufacturer holding inventory for a direct consumer channel or the distributor holding inventory on behalf of the manufacturer, the fact remains that it's logistics that gets the product to where it needs to go. Today, logistics, especially around ocean shipping, is a disaster. Given Mike Simon's extensive background in logistics, I had to ask him the obvious question. 
How would you solve the shipping container conundrum? It's, it's a challenge. I mean, it, it's, it's sort of steeped in a lot of industry legacy, a lot of industry bad practices that need to be fundamentally uh, addressed. So for example, today, it's another sort of the whipsaw effect of what happens. By virtue of someone not being able to get capacity, uh, you'll see a tendency for a shipper or a third-party logistics provider on their behalf booking with five or six different carriers at the same time, only to go with one that ultimately commits to uh, providing the equipment in the space, and then they'll cancel the other the other five or six bookings, let's say. So it's a, it's a practice called phantom bookings, and it's pervasive. It's pervasive in the industry. So, so imagine if we were all you know, going on airlines together, for example, and each of us was booking five seats on five different airlines only to cancel four of them right up to the point of, of the flight. And airlines from a yield management standpoint would have just a, a nightmare on their hands, uh, either too much uh, demand for too little space or too much fall off and therefore uh, vacant space. And that will cause a lot of other bad behavior, you know, from a pricing standpoint, uh, pricing into you know that really bad behavior situation, or you know requiring customers to uh, pay penalties. For example, if they uh, don't commit to the bookings or don't follow through with the bookings that they have, it's a long answer to your question. But uh, there are fundamental things that need to happen that ultimately go back to what we were talking about uh, earlier. So to the extent that that the ecosystem as a whole can share better what their uh, plans are, what their capacity needs are and then actually deliver on those through very good supply chain orchestration, visibility, and so forth, then that would fundamentally address what's otherwise showing up as really bad behavior by virtue of, um, of that, not being, that not being in place. So that's what's happening within the, the container industry right now. It's, it's always happened, but it's greatly exacerbated by virtue of the significant change in the demand profile for containerized freight through COVID and you know, only now are people really starting to discuss the fundamental aspects of it and how to uh, address this issue uh, more fundamentally. Because it's not just COVID. COVID obviously has had a, a, a global impact, but what happened with the Suez Canal, for example, last month with the Evergreen ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal, mm -hmm. that caused 200 other ships to be delayed, diverted, and so forth. There are those types of things that happen all the time, you know, weather-related issues, uh, strikes in India, for example, Suez Canal, and that type of thing. So those that happen all the time, and they have micro-impacts on the overall supply chain. So I think that to the extent that the industry is now taking stock of legacy behavior and the lack of integration, the lack of shared process, shared data, and so forth, ultimately, you know, if there's another pandemic, then people will be better able to uh, manage through that. But it's it's really not about that. It's about, you know, the more typical things that happen day to day that ironically will probably get uh, solved for uh, as a result of what's been happening now. Mike's point about the critical nature of integration, shared process and shared data serves the supply chain well, especially manufacturers and distributors who it turns out really do need each other and conserve each other well. Final thoughts from David Morley. Let's just try and wrap this up in a, in one ball. So if you're a manufacturer, you need to have an agile supply chain. That doesn't mean buying it from wherever in the world for a penny less. It means having the right product available at the right time. 
so you can supply demand. If you don't supply demand, specifications will be broken and you'll lose the business. Distributors can be your best product advocate. So be open with them. Make sure the training's available to them. Make sure the pricing is correct and, and is at the value point, which might mean a price increase. But they will understand if you can explain the value. And make sure that your distributor has got the right product on the shelf at the right time and is talking to their key accounts and that you're, you, you knowingly and openly understand that they're talking to their best customers at the right time. That's the notion of the relationship that needs to be you know, in, in, in place going forward. You've been listening to Ahead of the Curve, a podcast series about applied Salesforce solutions in the manufacturing industry. Thanks to David Morley, VP of Manufacturing Practice at Gerent, and Mike Simon, partner with Gerent Digital, for their perspectives on the role of distributors in a digital world. Ahead of the Curve is produced by Gerent. Our technical producer is Dave Krein, owner of the Acme Podcasting Company in Toronto. I'm Chris Henry. We'll see you again.